Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Today's uh, Torah study is uh, the fifth Torah study in uh, the Torah cycle, and it's out of Genesis 23 through Genesis 25, and it's entitled, The Life of Sarah, The Lifetime of Sarah. And uh, so today, and you'll, we'll get into this, but uh, I uh, thought that I would entitle uh, today's sermon, Eight Defining Characteristics of a Christian. Eight Defining Characteristics. And uh, the reason uh, that uh, I wanted to go in this direction today uh, is that the very first sentence in today's uh, study is a revelation that is meant to still speak to us today uh, concerning the life of Sarah. And uh, Genesis 23.1 says that Sarah lived 100 and 27 years, these were the years of the life of Sarah. Now, uh, if you just read that in passing, it's not necessarily a game-changing scripture. Until you understand what it means when you study it through Jewish eyes. And in the Hebrew Bible, in the Humash, uh, uh, it, it says it differently, and it gives us uh, some real insight here. It says, Sarah's lifetime was 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years, the years of Sarah's life. And here is a, uh, a, a secret to understanding Sarah, understanding this scripture. And uh, Rashi, the great Jewish rabbi and scholar, said that this describes that the years of Sarah's life all were equally for the good. They were all equally for the good. And then it goes on to teach that each one of these specific years, 100 years, 20 years, 7 years, all have uh, a insight, a quality about them that we need to understand. The 7-year-old is for innocence. And so throughout all of Sarah's life, she... Uh, live with an innocence. She was never corrupted by the world. Uh, the 20 year old was for strength. And so throughout all of Sarah's life, she was strong, 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 a strong woman. Amen. And the 100 year old uh, designation is for wisdom. So Sarah embodied these qualities of innocence, of strength, and of wisdom. And it's one of the secrets to the greatness of Sarah. She possessed all of these throughout her entire life. Innocence, strength, and wisdom. 
And so as I was studying this and reading this, I realized that what God is showing us is a pattern. He's giving us the groundwork of understanding that once you and I come to the Lord, we need to progressively develop godly character traits. Amen? Traits that can be seen. Traits that can be appreciated by others. Amen? In fact, it's one of the main callings of the Christian life. We're supposed to become transformed people. And we're supposed to more and more become more like Jesus. Right? And so, uh, this is a great message for anyone that's ever struggled with, what's God's will for my life? Boom. There it is. You can start with the goal to develop a Christian character like Sarah, Christian character like Jesus. Amen. And so uh, I got into uh, this study on uh, character and spent a lot of time reading on it. And I came across an article by Billy Graham. What does he know? <laughs> right. And, and so in this article, uh, he was asked the question, how do you define Christian character? And Billy Graham said that the thing that makes the difference in Christian character is that first and foremost, we understand that we're answering to God. Amen. Right? That's top priority. And so we're using our personality. We're using our emotions. We're using our background, our experience. We're using our willpower to focus on God and to live our lives with an honoring toward God, a reverence towards God. And uh, we have a respect and a level of obedience to His divine principles. But what does Billy Graham know? You could say that the fear of the Lord is the biblical terminology, the foundation for Christian character, the fear of the Lord. It's the starting place. And it just boils down uh, to a willingness to yield our lives to the Lord, to surrender to His divine will and word, and to figure out how are we going to incorporate His value system into our value system. Amen. Really, what God values is what we should be valuing. And Sarah did this. Amen. And Jesus did this. And so what this means is that we have to pick up our cross occasionally <laughs> and die to our old ways. Oh, all the wives said amen. <laughs> right? And uh, in, in today's uh, society, uh, we have to die to a secular and cultural value system that's opposed to God. Amen. Work that out, right? We see what's going on, and we see not everybody who says they're a Christian is lining up with the will of God and the Word of God, and there's a compromise going on instead of a conviction. And so this includes political agendas. 
right? And so there's a dying to our own thoughts, our own opinions, all those old attitudes, because we realize, as the prophet Isaiah said, God's ways are not our ways, right? And so we need to uh, begin to go through a process of transformation, put on the put off the old man, put on the new man, renew our minds and become new creations in Christ. Amen. And this is what it's talking about with Sarah. She had an innocence, she had a strength, she had uh, a wisdom all throughout her life, and, uh, and it led her to the point where uh, she and Abraham changed the world. All right? And you and I can change our world, and the people in our uh, influence and on our radar, we can help them see the light. Amen. Right? You know, uh, when uh, Lydia and I gave our lives to the Lord back in 1984, uh, uh, Lydia wasn't a wreck, but I sure was. <laughs> I had served the devil for 17 straight years as hard as I could. And uh, short of being thrown in jail or putting a needle in my arm, I did just about everything else. Not proud of that. And I thank God I got saved out of that. There's nothing in the old life I long for anymore. I've seen so much of it and uh, had many, uh, many a night or a morning wrapped around the toilet bowl regretting what I did the night before. And worse. But when, when we gave our... This was... We were up in Seattle at that time. Uh, but when we uh, prayed that sinner's prayer... From that moment, I was motivated uh, to, uh, how can I make this real in my life? I, I knew religion, but I didn't want to you know, have this relationship, this experience, become a crutch. I wanted to become that overcomer. I wanted to become the, the person that when you say greater is he that is in me than what's going on in the world, that I wanted that. And uh, on and on and on. And so I was so motivated after praying the sinner's prayer. That morning when we got saved, we not only prayed the sinner's prayer, but we prayed to receive the Holy Spirit with the evidence of praying in tongues. And so it was like we got supersized that morning. <laughs> so we went from being children of the devil to children of the king, Bible-thumping, pew-jumping, tongue-talking believers, all on that March uh, 11th morning. And really, all I could think about from that point forward is how to become more like Jesus. Amen. Right? How many of you felt that too? I mean, and you still feel that to, uh, to this day. And one of the first revelations that hit me uh, is that Christianity is a growing process. Amen. Right? 
One of the things that uh, the Bible teaches again and again is you plant the seed, then it takes some time, and then finally there's a harvest. So don't get weary in well-doing. Eventually your harvest will come in whatever area you're really seeking the Lord on. And, and so Christianity is above all a growing process. We're on a journey. And so uh, we may not have the innocence anymore that we're talking about with Sarah. We may not feel the strength or we may not have the wisdom of God that we wished that we had. But it's a growing process. Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't quit and throw in the towel. Never ever give up. Amen. And so you plant those seeds, it takes some time, then comes the harvest, and then you use what it says on your shampoo bottle. <laughs> Lather, rinse, and repeat, right? So it, it, it's a, a lifelong process of lathering, rinsing, and repeating, right? And so the reality is, like Sarah, we're in this lifelong process. Sarah, she lived a uh, hundred years, twenty years, seven years, and all of those qualities in her life just were evident throughout her life. This is why uh, when we pray on Shabbat, I pray the blessing of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Sarah is a matriarch. And there's things in her life. She's the original Proverbs 31 woman. And so we uh, try to embody these qualities uh, that uh, she represents. And it's a lifelong process. So don't get flustered with poor expectations. Have great expectations. Amen. Uh, Now, look, it's not going to come without a fight. All right. And not everything that you're fighting is the devil. A lot of what we're fighting, don't give the devil all that credit. It's really human nature. Galatians calls it the flesh, the works of the flesh. There's just things lodged in your flesh that you naturally gravitate towards. And a lot of those things uh, that you're gravitating towards are anti-God things. They're not godly things, and they lead to self-destruction. A lot of the problems that people face isn't because of the devil, it's self-inflicted. God, show us with that wisdom what things that we're doing in our lives that are leading us back into the same troubles that we used to have. We should be beyond that by now. And so we need to understand that. Human nature is always going to be inclined to keep the status quo. Human nature is always going to be inclined to go for comfort and leisure and convenience. Right? Uh, That's uh, not the priority of a believer. Comfort, leisure, recreation, and uh, convenience isn't necessarily our goal. It's not wrong to have those things, but that ain't top priority. Sometimes there's no no gain without a little pain. 
And the pain doesn't have to be physical pain. It's the emotional pain, the conflict in our brain that uh, 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 we go through when we're trying to go to the next level. And whenever we're trying to go to the next level, it's usually we got to kill the next devil. Whatever that might be. How many want to accelerate your spiritual growth? Amen. I do. Well, then we got to make our top priority becoming more like Jesus. Amen. Come on, somebody. We need to rely on the Holy Ghost. We need to rely on the Word of God to lead us and guide us through a sanctifying process. Who's ever heard that word, sanctify? God's going to sanctify you. That means He's going to separate you from the cravings and the appetites of sin and the human nature and the works of the flesh. Some of that happens easy. When we got saved, it was easy for me to stop smoking a pack a day. I didn't need, uh, what's that called, Nicorette? I didn't need a patch. I just, I just uh, uh, connected to the Spirit of God. That's why it's good to be filled with the Holy Ghost from the get-go. Because there is another level of... It's like turbocharging your Christian faith. I didn't need a 12-step a, a, a process, 32 classes, to tell me that cocaine and marijuana and uh, popping uh, uh, reds and yellows and snorting uh, uh, crystal meth. I didn't need uh, the... Uh, 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 I, All of that went down the toilet the day we got home. We got born again at the 8.30 service, and by the time we got home, we were flushing everything down the toilet. That was that. Now, I'm not against all those other things. And we need to study to show ourselves approved. And we need to go after this thing because it is a lifelong journey. But there's some things that God will do instantly. Amen. But then there's some other things that don't die so easily. And part of our journey, we come to church, we're in a Torah study, we're reading our Bible, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to us about a certain behavior, a certain attitude, and all of a sudden, that, that's spiritual warfare time. Spiritual warfare isn't just, devil, I bind you. It is that, but spiritual warfare is realizing, okay, what things in my thoughts, what attitudes, what opinions are messing around with me and drawing me back to the old ways of life. And sometimes we're the last to know. I've always make a vow, you hear me say this before, I hate to be the guy that's the last to know. Don't be the one that's always so blind that you're the last to know. Be inquisitive enough, curious enough, open-heartedly enough to let the Holy Spirit show you, okay, this is what's messing up your family. (laughs) This is what's messing up your finances. And then by the power of God, with the power of the Holy Ghost working in you, change that thing. And you might have to lather, rinse, and repeat a few times. For me, I had a lot of what they call white knuckle sessions. 
I was like Al Pacino in The Godfather 3. I tried to get out, but they pull, they're trying to pull me back in. And that's what the devil tries to do. Amen. We ain't having none of that. The Holy Ghost is my sanctifier. Amen. He's breathing God's breath of life on me so that I realize what I got with this thing called salvation. I've got a new beginning. I'm a new creation. I'm being transformed. Amen. So, yeah, all of this uh, was part of my study with uh, the life of Sarah. And it led me to a scripture that I've always uh, loved and uh, appreciated by the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 1. And if you uh, turn over there, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. It's a lengthy uh, scripture, so try to stay with me here. Here's what Peter's telling us. Everything... We could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. All right. So there's there's within each of us seed. A divine nature and godly seed. All of this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to Him through a glorious manifestation of His goodness. As a result of this, He has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price, so that through the power of these promises, we can experience partnership with the divine nature. Partnership with the the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. This is what we've just been talking about, right? So you have divine nature. It's in you. When you confess Jesus is Lord, it's in you. But it's not manifesting everything it was meant to manifest until you get in there and start working the Word, working the Word, working the Word, working the Word. Amen? So now in verse 5, this is the, uh, here's where we get into the uh, eight defining characteristics of a Christian. Verse 5, so devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing your faith. That's the first one, faith with goodness. Notice it says devote yourselves to lavishly supplement your faith. Right? So just having faith is not the goal. Once I have that faith, now... The apostle is saying, supplement that with goodness, and to goodness add understanding, verse 6, and to understanding add the strength of self-control, and to self-control add patient endurance, and to patient endurance add godliness, and to godliness add mercy, Toward your brothers and sisters, and to mercy toward others 
add unending love. Since these virtues are already planted deep within and you possess them in abundant supply, they will keep you from being inactive and fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. How many of you are committed to pursuing your relationship with Jesus Christ? I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Amen. Well, here is a template. And it's to me, it sprang out of what God showed us with Sarah. All of Sarah's life, she possessed and displayed qualities of innocence and strength and wisdom. And uh, 127 years of innocence, strength, and wisdom. Now that you and I have made Jesus Christ our Lord, we need to add to our faith a bunch of other things. They're in us, but we need to let them out. Amen. Amen. And so Peter is giving us a discipleship lesson. How to transform. Now, I really like this. This is uh, uh, Pastor Greg before he uh, uh, moved on over to, uh, uh, I think, Palm Desert. What a dirty... <laughs> you retired in Palm Desert on us like that, Pastor Greg. He talked about being a believing believer. He teased us on it because you could be an unbelieving believer. Right? I kind of updated it, and this scripture, it shows progressively how we add to our faith some things, right? Some qualities. But it, it's describing the, the transformation from being a John 3.16 believer. Look, if that's all you got, you'll make heaven your home. I believe John 3.16. Okay. But if you're, going, if you're planning on living for any length of time, who's planning on dying at 5 o'clock? No one. No one's planning. We're planning on living a long and productive life. But if we are, then we've got to get on it here and move beyond just John 3.16 faith. Right? We've got to move beyond just now I lay me down to sleep prayers. All right. And we move from being a believer to becoming a disciple. All right? And a lot of that is just... Uh, the want to. Pastor Larry always says, I can show you how to run with the ball, but I can't give you the want to. you got to figure that out on your own. Everybody's got their own little unique way of getting inspired and motivated. And look, life beats us down and the devil tries to distract us and we get focused on the wrong things and we don't feel like running with the ball. But God said, don't quit. Don't get weary. Don't go, don't go, on, to the, don't go on the IR, the injury reserve list on me, God's saying. Coincidentally, uh, this is a list of eight. 
Is there a coincidence? Eight is a divine number, a transcendent number, and it tells us there's a new beginning. I want you, my child, to have a new beginning. You're my beloved. I care about you. I care about your spiritual health, your spiritual growth, but I need a little help here. (laughs) Come on, give me a little help here, child of God. And so faith is the first characteristic on Peter's discipleship list. And every believer, here's the good news, just like we were reading, every believer has been given a measure of faith. Romans 12. So it's not our job necessarily to supply faith, to conjure faith up, uh, but it's rather to build it up. And strengthen your faith. See, at the beginning, whether it's you, whether it's whoever, faith begins as saving faith. All right? You had faith to get saved. You had faith to pray the sinner's prayer. That's saving faith. That's John 3.16 faith. But God has not just called us to have John 3.16 faith. He's called us to have mountain-moving faith. Oh, come on and help me, somebody. Abraham and Sarah had mountain-moving faith. They called those things that were not as though they were, Romans 4 says. And so we're not necessarily used to calling those positive things that are promises in the Word of God that aren't actively manifesting in our lives. We're not used to calling those things as though they were, as though we already had it. We're trained to identify the problem. And then we end up focusing on the problem. But if you want mountain-moving faith, you need to speak to the mountain about the size of your God, not speak to everybody else about the size of your mountain. That's the difference. Right? And so, we need to live by some creeds. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. All things will work together for my good because I love the Lord. Amen. Amen. And then here's the lather, rinse, and repeat scripture. Romans 10, 17. You know it. Faith comes by hearing. Read your Amplified. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. 10,000 times you might have to hear it. It's like uh, teenagers. Teenagers are slow of hearing. Sometimes they don't hear you until they're 25 or 30. (laughs) I've been telling you that for 10 years. I just heard it, Dad. I just heard it, Mom. All right, well, at least you got it. So faith. Number two, goodness is the second characteristic of a Christian who's committed to growing in God's Word. And and here, goodness 
when you dig into the Strong's Concordance and you start studying what this word could have been translated, it could have been translated integrity, Amen. virtue. Some of our Bibles say moral excellence. All right? The idea here is that faith needs integrity to be genuine and authentic and positive. You can have negative faith or positive faith. We want positive faith. You can have faith that bad things are going to keep happening. Or you can have faith that God is my God and He's a miracle working God. And He's going to come in and turn my story upside down. If I'll show my faith. Amen. So within that, there's this idea of developing honesty. Can we be honest? Can you handle the truth? (laughs) Right? And the the last thing we want to do because of human nature is look in the mirror. Michael Jackson didn't get a lot of things right, but he got man in the mirror right. He got man in the mirror right. All right? Honesty, reliability, consistency, truthfulness. That's all part of integrity. That's all part of goodness. And Paul is saying, uh, when he talks about this in Philippians 4.8, keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real. Honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. What's God's will for my life? Just live that scripture out and you will have come far, pilgrim. Number three. Knowledge with understanding. Knowledge with understanding. Number three. In our former state as unbelievers, we were just unsaved. We were unknowledgeable. We were unaware. I'm going to use the I word. We were ignorant. Now here's the sad part, is that even as Christians, we can still resemble that remark, as Garfield once said. All right? Why? Because my people are destroyed because of their lack of knowledge. Well, I thought all I had to do was come to church a couple times. I'm a a Christmas and Easter. I'm a C&E Christian. What more do you expect? Well, look, there's 168 hours in a week. All right? If you're just spending an hour or two a week thinking about the things of God and you convert that into a football score, you're getting beat 168 to 2. That's called a blowout. That's called a massacre. That's called an. Why are God's people being annihilated? Because we've been lied to in thinking we can dumb down, water down, dilute everything that God wants to do into a a, a church service. What more do you expect? Everything. 
All right? In the last days, the Bible says there's going to be a great falling away. This is when Christian people depart from knowledge and truth. And uh, I don't know if you listened to uh, the uh, uh, teaching I did with the four horsemen uh, a few weeks back. But Daniel gave a prophetic word about this. He said, in the last days, knowledge will increase. And I got to, I couldn't get that scripture off, and I went back and looked into that. And it actually means in the last days, ignorant knowledge will increase. What the heck is ignorant knowledge? False teaching and fake news will multiply. And a great number of people will buy into it. An uneducated, uninformed believer is going to be in serious trouble of being collateral damage. I found this quote by the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, and it just hit me like, bam, wow. They asked him... Uh, what he considered some of the chief dangers that confront Christianity. And he said in the coming century, the chief dangers are going to be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Politics without God. Oh boy. And heaven without hell. Wow. Pretty amazing statement. So God give us knowledge and understanding. Let the Holy Spirit counsel us and show us in our decision making, in our daily lives, the things that we need to get right and the things we need to stay away from so we don't get it wrong. Hallelujah. Number four. The strength of self-control is the next thing we're supposed to add. There's a great theologian, William Barclay. He's got commentaries, the Barclay commentaries. He he once wrote that self-control means to get a grip on oneself. (laughs) Get a grip! (laughs) Right? Getting a grip. That means taking charge of your life. Stop blaming everybody else for everything. And look inside yourself. Be be the Michael Jackson man in the mirror moment. Ah! (laughs) I didn't realize. I need some wart remover here. My gosh, help me, Jesus. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours. In your ignorance. Your eyes should be open now. But the devil keeps coming to choke the word, right? He's wanting to distract. He's wanting to destroy. He's wanting to get you away from understanding the truth. And so, 
you know, in order to walk all of this out, it takes some effort. This is where a lot of times uh, Christians are confused about what grace is. I've heard it preached again and again that if you try to make any effort towards doing what we're talking about today, then you're negating the grace of God. Liar, liar, pants on fire! God needs a partner. God needs people that are willing, that are opening themselves up and availing themselves to the sanctification process. This is why the Bible says, work out your salvation. Amen. Number five, patient endurance. Another characteristic of a Christian who's committed to growing spiritually. Some of y'all have this in abundant supply. God bless you. You've got determination. You have a persistence about you. You have a patient endurance. I ain't quitting. I'm not bowing down, slowing down, backing down to the devil, the antichrist crowd, all the demons out there that are trying to create one nation under government instead of one nation under God. I am going to be a voice. I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not walking in fear. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, and we've got to, uh, even when we face trials and tribulations, we got to keep on keeping on. We got to be like one of my favorite songs, Eddie Kendricks, keep on trucking. We got to keep on trucking for Jesus. You know, many believers fall uh, by the wayside because they underestimate some things, right? And we have the help of. Uh, teachers and uh, that just try to make everything uh, everything supposed to be easy. Look, I want some easy things, some easy miracles, some easy breakthroughs. But there's other things that don't come out except by prayer and fasting. All right. So they underestimate the difficulties sometimes that arise when you're trying to work out your salvation and your flesh and the devil are piling up and trying to get you to go back to the old ways. And, uh, and so what has to happen is we need to have more willpower. We need more Holy Ghost power for sure. But you need to exercise your willpower. Amen. Amen. You ever heard, uh, seen the movie True Grit? You got to have a little spiritual grit, right? You got to have some intestinal fortitude. And when the day of adversity comes, you're not going to faint. And if the smoke clears, I'm still going to be standing. That's your attitude. Patient endurance. Number six is godliness. Godliness is the quality uh, that we display every day, a a sense of righteousness. There's a right way that God says to do things, and I'm committed to figuring that out and putting that into play. Decency, can we be civil again? (laughs) Right? Having a, a sense of compassion, right? Having a, a, a sense of holiness. Right? 
This is how our light shines. That's what makes us different. That's, that's what it means to be a peculiar person is because the world's doing it all the opposite. And when people see, you know what, that's a decent person there. That's a righteous person there. That's a compassionate person that's showing some empathy. All of that is the light shining. And that's what separates us from a dark world and helps people to see the difference. I'd rather have that than cancel culture. (laughs) Number seven, brotherly kindness. All right. This is that John 3.16 love. God so loved the world he gave. God's children so loved the world that they give. They give with empathy. They give with patience. They give with mercy. They give with grace. They're trying to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. And let me say this, that God loves us even when we were sinners. So the sinner is not our enemy. The sinner's our goal. And in addition to that, as brothers and sisters in Christ, I can love you. I need to love you. It's a requirement of faith. And it's not based on your skin color, your class, a clique. It's not based on nationality. It's based on our... We both love God. We both love Jesus. That's the ultimate common ground. The ultimate common ground is we both love Jesus. Amen. And that leads us to the eighth characteristic that uh, Peter gives. Unending love. Agape love. The highest kind of love. It's not Hollywood love. It's not based on the love the world talks about. It's a love based on a willingness to give of ourselves. Right? We have an obligation as Christians. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Amen? And that means we got to be willing to uh, sacrifice from time to time. Right? You don't have to give away everything and become a, a, a pauper. You can strive to uh, have the abundant life. That's part of the deal. But everything that God blesses you with isn't just meant to squander on yourself. Some of that is seed you're sowing into other people's lives so that they can be saved, so that they can know the truth, so that their eyes can be opened. It's being benevolent and charitable. Amen? So read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. It's a great love chapter there that uh, would really help you. Look At the end of the day, uh, this is the personality God wants us to be aiming for. Amen. To, these are defining Christian characteristics. You started with saving faith. Now let's season that with all these qualities and develop it into a faith that moves mountains. Sarah did this. Abraham did this. And they understood it's going to take some time. It's a growing process. 
But uh, uh, keep this in mind. And I, I thought about this, about all the different slogans, mottos of a Christian life. One of the most famous is, let go and let God. Who's ever heard, let go and let God. I, I, I used to like that, and then I got to thinking about it, that it can imply that a godly life is all up to God. Let go and let God. I'm hands off, just letting God do it. And so, yeah, I I understand what they were meaning, but uh, you know what? You have to take some personal accountability because you're partners with God. So I think a better slogan would would be, trust God and get going. (laughs) Trust God and get going. Two-thirds of God's name is go. So trust God and get going. Amen? Say amen with me. God bless you guys. I love you. Have a great morning. And uh, we'll see you in church. Amen.